Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today we are studying the tenth parak of Melachim Bet, which continues to focus on Yehu's very violent reign. As we noted, uh, Yehu is an interesting kind of a, a mixed character. On the one hand, he is appointed by God to rise to power and to punish Achav by wiping out his entire household. And so his job is to do something violent. That is his divine mandate. And yet, despite that sanction from, from on high, the text makes it clear that Yehu crosses a line with his brutality. He manages to, to go too far. So we have this very complex image of Yehu as both a zealot for God and also someone who himself is probably really not worthy of being the vehicle of the punishment that he is responsible and ultimately does bring. In the first unit of our Perek, Yehu then sets his sights on the 70 sons of Achav living in Shomron. It appears that these are still rather young individuals, as Yehu addresses a letter to their caretakers. And he challenges them, saying that, uh, why don't you appoint one of, uh, one of Achav's 70 descendants as the king? He's kind of taunting them, because, of course, the caretakers are, 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 are incredibly frightened by this, because they know that if they do that, Yehu will kill whoever they appoint and will kill them as well. And so instead, they, they turn to Yehu and they say that we're not going to appoint any of them as a king. We submit ourselves to you. We submit ourselves entirely to your rule and we're not going to present any challenge to your reign. And then Yehu gives them an ultimatum. He says, okay, if you really are loyal to me, uh, and you really want to survive, so I want you to demonstrate your loyalty and bring me the heads of your masters, of, of, these, of these 70 sons of Achav, whom you have raised and served. So these are their caretakers, the very people who have raised these 70 descendants of Achav. Now they are being tasked to do something incredibly cruel and to behead these, these I don't know how old they are right now, but to behead these descendants of Achav. And that is exactly what they do. They send their heads uh, in a basket to Yehu, uh, who then displays them uh, in a massive mound that he produces with, with all of these heads. Uh, he displays them for everyone to see. So it's an incredibly, gratuitously violent and brutal uh, way of, of dealing with these descendants of Achav. Uh, and then he proclaims, and this is where the, the complexity comes in, he, he proclaims, he says, to Hashem, Arza asher diber Hashem al beis Achav. No, right? He proclaims to everyone. See that nothing that Hashem proclaimed right through Eliyahu Hanavi regarding the house of Achav, nothing is going to fall to the earth. Which is to say, nothing is going to prove untrue. Everything that was said about Achav and his family is going or has become the reality. So he uses this kind of graphic display to corroborate the prophecy of Eliyahu regarding the house of Achav, right? And then that's exactly the complexity here. There's a divine mandate, and there's brutality, and they're together. So we're not comfortable with it, and at the same time, he's doing something that is, on some level, um, good, or, or meant to be done at least. Next, we learn that Yahu chances upon 42 siblings of Ahaz Yahu, who was the king of, uh, of the south, king of, uh, of Yehuda. Uh, also killed previously by Yehu. Uh, he, he, he just kind of chances upon them in there too. We have a, this is a very brutal scene of uh, him killing uh, all of these siblings as well. These are, of course, people who are uh, threats to his, to his reign. Uh, and then the, the, the final act uh, of this, of this Perek, he hatches a scheme to rid the land of the followers of Baal. 
He calls for a major celebration for Baal. He calls all the followers of Baal to join together, and he tries to tries to he makes sure he makes sure anyone who's a follower of uh, of, of of God of the God of Israel you should leave. This is really just for the Baal worshippers. So everyone's there for this major celebration of Baal. And once he has gathered all these people together, he has them all killed. And he rids the land of really the worst offenders of pagan worship. Once again, this seems quite commendable. And yet the text still leaves us with a kind of negative or tainted impression of Yehu. Right? There's this great sense of ambivalence that we're left with. On the one hand, well, let's, let's keep going, right? Because I think the parrot continues to bear out that ambivalence. On the one hand, uh, we're told that because Yehu punished Ahab's family, he, he fulfilled his divine mandate, so he, Yehu is rewarded with a, uh, a reign with a dynasty of four generations. Obviously reflects very positively on that which Yehu accomplishes as a, as a leader, again, fulfilling this divine mandate. At the same time, we learn that uh, while he has rid the nation of, of the worship of Baal, we're told that Yehu himself doesn't really fully follow in the ways of Hashem. And that's uh, one of the, that manifests itself, among other things, in the fact that he does not remove the golden calves that are still in these temples in Beit El and in Dan. And, and we're told he returns the nation to this kind of gray, semi-monotheistic state of affairs, which we had initially encountered under the reign of Yeravam years prior. So it's an improvement, but it's really not a complete turnaround. And I think that that's, that's really so important because it's one thing for a great zealot to act fiercely for the glory of God, to act fiercely for the honor of Hashem, uh, if that zealot is himself an incredibly pious person who follows the ways of God. Lahavdil, not uh, equating these characters, but there's some grounds for comparison. Eliyahu Hanavi, right, the great zealot, uh, was himself, uh, in certain respects, uh, somewhat, somewhat fierce and somewhat even brutal. Right? R- remember the, the way he killed hundreds and hundreds of the Nevi'i Habal, at Har HaKarmel, he had them killed also very publicly, uh, uh, and it was, it, was, uh, it was, you know, a lot of blood was spilled, but that had so much more legitimacy because Eliyahu Hanavi was Eliyahu Hanavi. He was pious. He was even this kind of angelic man, uh, and so because there was uh, that kind of figure spearheading these efforts, even though they, they were quite violent, Nonetheless, there wasn't a hint of hypocrisy. It, it, it was done entirely for the glory of God, but not so for Yehu, who kills the Nevi'i Habal and kills Ahab's household, but himself is not really so much a follower of God. When it was, he was happy enough kind of to do the task of murdering these other people and, of course, parenthetically enabling him to rise to power and to completely uh, quash any potential rebellions or any uh, potential claims to the throne, that he was happy enough to do. But to then go and to really fully, wholeheartedly follow in the ways of Hashem, there uh, he was unwilling to go. So there's be, be, that, that asymmetry, uh, of course, really, even, even though the violence was done with divine sanction, because there is that asymmetry, because there is that, that, that hypocrisy, uh, I think it, it even, um, even more so. Uh, makes us kind of cast doubt and cast a shadow over those over those acts that are ostensibly sanctioned. Okay, we then learn the parak kind of closes out with just a few other notes. Firstly, that Aram, 
uh, begins to take significant bites out of the land of Israel, including much of the Transjordan. And naturally, that diminution of the land is a reflection of a spiritual uh, downfall, a degradation of, of, na- of the national uh, spirit and, and, and relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. That obviously happens very much uh, in, in, uh, in relationship to right, the, the expansion of the land always reflects right, uh, a, a blossoming and a strengthening of the relationship between the nation and Hashem. And so the diminution of the land likewise represents the opposite. So again, just kind of big picture here, we have this, this image of this zealot uh, who uh, does the will of Hashem and is rewarded for doing so. And at the same time, we have this deeply religiously and morally flawed individual who is far from this perfect vehicle uh, for the divine will that he, to some degree, was able to, uh, to bring uh, to bear uh, and, to, uh, and to manifest. Okay, that's kind of the complex picture of Yehu. The Perek ends with Yehu's death after a lengthy 28-year rule, and he is succeeded by his son, Yehoachaz. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz, and happy learning.